Hey, good morning, church family. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we'd like for you to turn to Romans chapter 8. Uh, if you uh, want to read it out of one of our pew Bibles, it is page number, anybody know? 944, okay. Turn to page 944. Uh, weeks we have been covering chapter 8 of the book of Romans, and uh, these Bibles are all new, and most of them have only been open to one page, page 944, Romans 8. And uh, we will be concluding our series today as we come to the end of this incredible chapter. And before we move into the message, I want to just say one word about one of the announcements we had, and that was a power breakfast. For close to 20 years, we have hosted a power lunch here at the church, and we've seen some great things happen from it. It's uh, leadership lessons, biblical insights, and it's just been a lot of fun. And uh, probably about 40% of the people that attend are not even members of our church. And uh, we began to think about ways that we could uh, take that same idea, but yet try to reach people in the downtown area who naturally cannot come to here for lunch. So we're doing a breakfast there, and it'll be at the Harbert Center. And uh, like he said, it'll be the second Wednesday of each month. So we just encourage you, any of you that work downtown, uh, to be thinking about that. Go on our website. You'll see some more information about Power Breakfast. Uh, Tommy Doremus is coordinating all of this. So if you want to help with it, you can contact Tommy, and uh, we just look forward to it and looking forward to when we get in the new year to offer this as an outreach opportunity. Okay, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is one that as we've walked through this book, it has been one of contrast. And, and every time we would look, we'd see something that was condemnation and liberation or in the flesh and in the spirit or being a slave or being a son. And, uh, and so everything has been, uh, you know, just contrast. And last week, we introduced a section of scripture to where Paul asked five questions. He's, he's kind of landing the plane, wrapping up chapter eight. And he asked some questions. And the first question he asked is, God is for us, who can be against us? And then he said, if God has given us his son, will he not also graciously give us all things? And the answer to that was, yes, he will. And then he says, who can judge us? He said, here is God who sent his own son to die for our sins. Would, can anybody else judge us if he doesn't? And the very last question was, who can condemn us? And when it comes to eternity, who can condemn us? The only person that could condemn us is Jesus Christ himself. And he went to the cross, died for our sins, was raised from the dead, sits at the right hand of the Father, and is interceding for us right now. So he said, no, there is no condemnation. And that goes back to the first verse of chapter 8. And he asked a fifth question, which is what we deal with today. And it's found in uh, verses 35 through the end of the chapter. And that question is, is who can separate us from the love of God? So let, let's read this and follow with me, starting in the 35th verse. And he says over here, <clears throat> excuse me. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It says, for I am sure 
that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is an incredible close to chapter eight. He asked the question, who can separate us from the love of God? And it makes us pause and begin to think about, okay, is there anything that could separate us from the love of God? Is there anything that would come up to where we would say, well, apparently God doesn't love me. And so what he does is he throws out some uh, uh, adversaries and some adversities, and he says, try these on. Just see if these happen in your life. Will these separate you from the love of God? First thing he says in here is tribulation. What about tribulation? The meaning of the word tribulation is pressure, pressure. Pressure that has become so heavy on you that it is an intolerable burden. It could be a pressure that could even result in nervous breakdowns, mental breakdowns, uh, panic attacks. It is this pressure just from life itself. He says tribulations, distress. That word distress, the Greek word in which the New Testament was written is a word, it's a double word and it comes from a word narrow and a word space. Narrow spaces, distress. It means I am hemmed in, I am overwhelmed, I am depressed. Tribulation, distress, persecution, suffering for my faith. Because I'm trying to live for the Lord and because maybe our culture is against that, I am being persecuted. And so when I look at, at this pressure, at this distress, this overwhelming pressure, the persecution I'm going through, I, it's only natural for me to ask a question, does really Christ love me anymore? Am I separated from the love of God because this is happening in my life? So then he goes a step further and he talks about famine or nakedness to where you don't have food, you got lack of food, you got lack of clothing. It could be due to a disaster, a natural disaster that happened. It could be because of your job situation. So I've got lack of food, lack of clothing, danger or sword, danger or sword. And that means that I live in fear of my life and that there could be even a risk of death that I am facing. Where is God in all of this? These adversities, these adversaries are upon me, and I've just got to ask the question, am I separated from the love of God? Did he just check out on me? Because whenever we talk about the love of God, the only framework we have is our own definition and experience of love. And we know that that's not perfect. Because sad to say, there are people at times where we say, "Boy, I love you, and I'll love you, you know, for the rest of my life. And it could be in marriage, or it could be in a friendship, it could be one of these things that started in elementary school and you did little pinky promises and everything else and, and you said, hey, I'm gonna love you till then. And then somebody deserts you or disappoints you or hurts you and you begin to get to the point where you say, I don't even love that person. I don't like the person, I don't even love the person anymore. And sometimes you wonder if people have dropped you too and said, well, I, they used to love me but they don't love me now. And so because of our own personal experience, as we're traveling through life and we believe that God loves us, we hit these adversities and these adversaries that come into our lives and it is natural for us to say, does God really love me? Does he still love me? Is there something that I've done, something that's happened that has separated me from the love of Christ? And so Paul 
brings out these adversities and these adversaries. But here's the thing about it. Paul did not just pull these out of the air. He experienced every one of these. This is a man who's writing a letter and he is saying, this is what I've experienced. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 28. We'll have the scripture on the screen and I want to read it and I want you to be thinking about what we just looked at, that laundry list of things we just looked at. This is him. He's writing a letter to the church at Corinth. And there's some people that are puffing up saying they're better than Paul and, and, and they're trying to put Paul down. So Paul says, I tell you what, let's just have it out. Let's just compare resumes. And it, this is a foolish thing. I know what I'm getting ready to do, but I'm just going to tell you, this is what I have been going through since I made my decision for Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 11 23 through 28. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. 39. They said that if you get hit 40 times, you'd probably die. So they said they gave him 39. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from all the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Now, if we had a global impact celebration and I invited Paul to come and speak and he gave that sermon, at the end of the sermon, he says, hey, you wanna sign up and go on a mission trip with me? <laughs> How many of you are gonna raise your hand and say, hey, this sounds like what I'm looking for? Good gracious. You know, I'd have to back off. He said, this is what he went through. And what he is saying is, is, I've known all of these adversities and these adversaries intimately. I've faced them all. I know firsthand. And I can tell you this, they cannot disrupt my relationship with Christ. They cannot disrupt my relationship. God still loves me. Nothing separates me from his love. And so then what he does is he, he quotes verse 36. And it's a passage out of Isaiah. And he says, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And the people were being punished because of their loyalty to God. And Derek Kidner commented on this verse and he says, suffering is the price of loyalty in a world that is at war with God. Suffering is the price of loyalty in a world that is at war with God. And Paul is saying that in the life of a believer, this suffering and this persecution is normal. It's normal. You shouldn't expect anything different. And so then he moves into verse 37, and he's saying, no, in all these things, all these things, the things we just talked about, tribulation, you know, the pressure, the distress, the persecution, the famine, the nakedness, all of those things, danger, sword, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
We are more than conquerors through him that loves us because none of these things can separate Christ's love and his people. We are more than conquerors. And what he says is we don't just bear up with fortitude. We triumph over them and we are more than conquerors. That's interesting. Seems like he could have just written this and said, um, we're conquerors. You would have known what that meant, right? In all of these things, we are conquerors. A conqueror. That's one that wins, right? That's a victor. But why did he say we are more than conquerors? Again, a word that he used, he could have used one word in the Greek language, and it means to overcome, to conquer, to win. But then he put something at the front of that word, and it's hooper, okay? And what hooper is, it means more than. So you put that word, and you put it together, and it's more than conquerors completely overwhelmed. We are more than conquerors. So I got you thinking, what do you mean by more than conquerors? All these things, the adversities, the adversaries, all that has happened in our lives, he's saying we don't merely endure, we don't escape, we don't just hold on, we don't just eke out a victory, we are more than conquerors. I mean, we're blowing it out of the water. And it would have been wonderful just to declare us conquerors, but he went the step further. We are more than conquerors. Well, yeah, I kind of sat with that and kept thinking about it. And one of the commentaries I mentioned to you that I've been reading was an older commentary for a man called Donald Gray Barnhouse. And I loved his insights to where he explained why we are more than conquerors. So all of us can relate to the first verses We've experienced tribulation, distress, persecution. Uh, maybe we haven't had famine and nakedness and stuff, but we've been where times have been tight, and there are numbers here, there are people who can share their testimony. They didn't know where their next meal was going to come from. They didn't know where that next paycheck was going to come from. But in the midst of all of this, God continues to love us. And he says, it's not that I just love you. You are triumphant over these things, and you are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. How are we more than conquerors? Just write these down. You can kind of think on these. I think it makes a lot of sense. Number one, our foe is more than our equal. Our foe is more than our equal. We are more than conquerors because we fight a battle to where the foe that we battle is more than our equal. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Folks, this isn't just man on man, woman on woman, man on woman battling here. This is spiritual forces. And they're stronger than we are. It's not equal. But we need the power of God to be able to fight that. And so like he says, our foe is more than equal. And since our foes are supernatural, then our victory is supernatural. Thus, we're not only conquerors, we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors because our foe is not equal, and yet we conquer them through the power of Christ. Number two, the length of our warfare is never ending. The length of our warfare is never ending. Now, anytime you've seen battles, read about battles, grown up through whether it be World War II, Korean conflict, Vietnam, uh, the Gulf War battles, on and on that we have been involved in, 
There is almost endless fighting that happens for a time, and then people just get exhausted, and the fighting stops. And victories happen, and then things just say, okay, we're done with our fighting. Well, this warfare that we're in is totally different. In spiritual warfare, there is no truce, and there is no let up. From the moment that we were born again, from the moment that we were adopted into the family of God, from the moment that we were divine partakers of God's nature, we are the targets of the world, of our own flesh, and of Satan himself. We are in a war 24-7. The battle just continues to rage. There is never a moment of reprieve. Thus, our conquest is more than a conquest. We are more than conquerors. Because as we win those battles, it is we are more than conquerors. Because it doesn't mean we just get to rest on our laurels. We got to keep on battling on it. We are more than conquerors. Number three, the result of the battle is eternity. The result of the battle is eternity. Now, we will be in heaven because Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and we accepted that gift, all right? And uh, to many called on him, we'll be saved. We accept that, we take that, take that gift of salvation, and when we die, we spend eternity in heaven. But the Bible says there are different responsibilities that we will be given in heaven. And how we handle the situations here on earth, how we triumph over the, the battles that we're here on earth will determine the responsibilities that we have in heaven. The result of the battle is eternity. Number four, rewards far surpass anything given to earthly conquerors. The rewards far surpass anything given to earthly conquerors. You know, when you win the battle or you win the war, there are some rewards that come with it. And when in World War II, when we won World War II, our government came up with what was called the GI Bill so that they could help uh, these soldiers come back and be able to afford to go to college on there. And so now we've added things as veteran benefits, et cetera, et cetera, and there'll be parades and other things, and we honor them. And those are great rewards, and they are justified. However, the rewards in this type of battle far surpass anything else. Because we fight for a crown that is incorruptible and for an inheritance that never fades away. It is that incorruptible crown that we would be receiving. You see, the war far surpass anything. We are more than conquerors. And number five is this. The cause of our warfare is infinitely superior. The cause of our warfare is infinitely superior. People go to war because of perceived injustices or just a power takeover, and there are different reasons why they go to war. And there's even things called as a just war, when people say, do we get into war or not? Is it justified? Listen, the cause of our warfare is infinitely superior. We are engaged in warfare for the cause of Christ. The enemy is Satan, and the object of his warfare is that he wants to claim to possess the throne of God of the universe. His desire is to usurp God's glory, but we are on the side of eternity and on the right side. Our battle is to advance God's kingdom and to give him the honor and the glory that he deserves. And so we fight this battle. We fight the battles when they come. 
We fight the tribulations, the pressures, all the adversaries and adversities that come in our lives. And we don't give in to it, but yet through the power of Christ, we fight this. And it says we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors because we want to advance God's kingdom and we want his glory to be given over all the earth and the glory that he deserves and that he should be given. And so the cause of our warfare is infinitely superior. And so you take these five reasons and it says you are more than conquerors. You're not just getting by. You are more than conquerors. Can we be separated by the love of Christ? Well, all the adversaries and things that come into us show that um, that love will always stay with us. At the very end of of that verse, he says that we're more than conquerors through him who loved us more than conquerors through him who loved us. You look at that word loved, that means it's a point in time that takes us back to the cross. It is because Jesus Christ went to the cross, he showed his love for us. First verse we ever learned, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It was God demonstrated his love for us. Christ willingly went to the cross because he loved us. And so through his love, through his love, we are more than conquerors. And we will never be separated from his love. Nothing could separate us from his love. Though we suffer, he suffered. We understand and we look for his power, his strength to help us to continue to be conquerors. Listen, Christians are not guaranteed immunity to temptation, tribulation, or tragedy, but we are promised victory over them. And God's pledge is not that suffering will never afflict us. It will never afflict us, but it will never separate us from the love of God. We are promised that tragedy, heartache, that we will never be immune from that. It's going to happen, that's part of life. However, what God's word does promise us is it will never separate us from the love of God, okay? It says we are more than conquerors. And that's why when the difficulties of life come, we don't need to sit there and just see if we can just ease by it. We need to understand that according to God's word, we triumph over it. We are more than conquerors because the power of Jesus Christ, the power that raised him from the dead is that same power that lives in our lives. And he says, you are more than conquerors. You have a man writing this who has walked through adversity like no one else sitting in this worship center today. And he boldly states, we are more than conquerors. But then he comes back and says, well, let me just wrap up this question about Can we be separated by the love of God? And he comes to verse 38. And he comes in verse 38 and he says, for I am sure, for I am sure. Some of your translations may have, I am convinced. If you have a King James version, it says, I am persuaded. I'm convinced, I'm persuaded. It means an action happened in the past and the effects of it continue to have an impact. I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. I'm convinced of this. He says, it is settled in my mind. Uh, It is uh, my own uh, personal understanding, my philosophy. I am convicted that we can never be separated from the love of God. So he said, well, let's just give you some ideas. He says, neither death nor life. 
neither death nor life. The crisis of death or the calamities of life take either one. Death cannot separate us from the love of Christ. How do we know that death cannot separate us from the love of Christ? It is because Jesus Christ himself died for us because he loved us so much. He was willing to give his own life for us. So death is not going to separate us from the love of Christ. In fact, he's interceding for us right now. Life, the calamities of life, can they separate us from the love of God? Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. If Christ lives in me, how can I be separated from his love? It's not the life I live, but he lives in me. The Holy Spirit lives in me. He says, so I can't be separated by death or life. Then he says, nor angels, nor rulers. Some take that rulers to be evil principalities. These um, spiritual beings, these, these supernatural things that are going on that, uh, that are beyond us, the spiritual battles that are happening uh, between Satan and, and God and the angels and all of these things, these evil principalities. He says, even those. He says, Christ is greater than that and none of these can separate our love for God. And then he says, nor things present, nor things to come nor things present, nor things to come. I like the, uh, the Living Bible says, our fears for today and our worries about tomorrow. Our fears for today. What can separate you from the love of God? Your fears from today? Nah. Fears for today cannot separate you. What about those worries about tomorrow? We always look to the future and we always get worried about what's coming up on there, okay? You know, everything from what's the next election to what's the next update on my iPhone. I mean, these things that just cause us concern and consternation, right? To figure out what's gonna happen. And, it, and we have big worries all the way down to small worries. But we always look to tomorrow and we say, oh no, is something gonna happen tomorrow that is so bad that will separate me from the love of God? Am I worried about what I may say or what I may do or what adversity is right around the corner for me? And he says, listen, none of that can separate us from the love of God. God loves us. And he says, whatever's happening today, whatever's happening in the future. And then he says, nor powers, spiritual forces of the universe. And then he says, nor height, nor depth. Nor height, nor depth. He says, no matter how high above you you go, it can't separate you from the love of God. No matter how low you go, it can't separate you from the love of God. Now, I don't know. Maybe while he was writing this, he was thinking about Diana Ross and the Supremes in 1970. You know, when they sang that song, they said, ain't no mountain high enough. Ow! Ain't no valley low enough. Woo! Ain't no river wide enough to keep me from you. You know that? And he said, ain't no mountain high enough. Not keep me from you, not keep me from you. I mean, Diana Ross, even she picks up on it, okay? So that is, in essence, almost the song that he's got. It doesn't matter how high the mountain is, doesn't matter how low the valley is, doesn't matter how wide that the, uh, that the river is, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. So he puts all these things in there and then it's great because look how he closes out. Nor anything else in all creation. <laughs> it's just like, let's just throw the whole thing open. You think of anything. It would almost be if Paul was sitting here and saying, let's have a little bit of uh, uh, feedback over here, nor anything else. All right, throw out something that, that you think will separate you from the love of God. He would just open it up. 
And you told something, I says, nah, that won't. How about you? Nah, that won't. He says, anything else, anything you can think of in creation, nothing will separate us from the love of God. You see, the love of God came out of eternity into a time when that love was manifested in Jesus Christ. And when God came in that body of love, it was with a love that knew no limit. Though we've been touched by the edge of his love, we have bathed in its borders. We have no idea the comprehension of how deep and wide that love is. There is no limit to his love. And he can never separate us. And so no matter what we get involved in, no matter what attacks us, God's love is always there. Now there may be some times that we are walking away from living the way that we should live. And there's going to be a call from our Heavenly Father for you to come back to walk with him and alongside of him. But there will never be that point to where he said, well, I just don't love you. And to where something comes into your life and you go, well, apparently God doesn't love me. And i tell you what it could be, is that God could be allowing things to come into your life to discipline you, just as a good parent would discipline a child. Because he says God disciplines those whom he loves. So you may think about it and say, is this discipline? Is just, just things that are happening? You walk through those times, but never in your journey do you ever come to that point where you write down, <clears throat> well, I guess God just, just doesn't love me anymore. Because according to Scripture, that's just not true. It says nothing can separate us from the love of God. Adversity will come, but God is with us in our walk. Our trials cannot separate us from God. It cannot separate us from his love. And we will never be tempted to doubt his love because of the trials that come into this life. Instead, we need to face the confidence with future because we face the future with confidence and stand firm. And the reason we do this is that we are more than conquerors. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so whenever we talk about the love of God, let us always be reminded that nothing can separate me from his love. Think about Romans chapter eight. It started out, therefore there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And then he closes it out by saying, nothing can separate us from the love of God. When we've received Christ, there is no condemnation. And then God reminds us all throughout chapter eight and get to the very end that listen, nothing can separate us from his love. Now, the greatest expression of God's love was when he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. And today, what we want to do in our service is we want to remember that by partaking of the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is the... Uh, Passover meal that Jesus had with his disciples on the night of his arrest. This is just hours before he will be arrested and before he will be beaten and then the next day will be crucified and will be suspended between heaven and earth for six hours, agonizing in physical pain and spiritual pain, but dying for our particular sins. And so what we want to do 
is we want to, he's asked us to participate in this. And he says that we are to do this and to do this in remembrance of him until the day he returns. And so let me just explain to you exactly what will happen and who can participate. First of all, who can participate in, in the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper is for believers. Anyone who's made a decision to ask Christ to come into their heart. You may call it born again, adopted into the family of God, salvation experiencing, experience asking Jesus to come into your heart. You've made that decision that Jesus Christ is the one who paid for your sins. You've accepted that gift of grace. And then we would invite you to take part in the Lord's Supper. You say, what if I'm not a member of this church? Hey, if you're a member of the church overall, you've made decisions for Christ, you can participate. Uh, whether you live in town, out of town, whichever, we invite you to participate. Some of you may say, well, Danny, you know, as you lay that out, I've really never made that, that decision uh, on, uh, on accepting Christ. So what do I do? When we have a tray, we'll pass the trays and each person will take, uh, take one cup out of it and if you've never made that decision for Christ, just don't take the cup. Just go on and pass it to the next person. But what I would invite you to do is over the next few minutes, be thinking about the message that has been preached and think about when we explain the elements of uh, the sacrifice that Jesus made and he made that for you. So what I'd like to ask is our ushers to come at this time and uh, for those that are helping out and serving the Lord's Supper, if you'll come to your particular uh, position and as you're getting in your position to get ready to serve, then what are we supposed to do in the meantime? What we are to do is that we prepare our hearts. Uh, Apostle Paul talking about this says that we need to examine our hearts, examine ourselves as we're getting ready to partake of the Lord's Supper. And as we examine ourselves, examine our walk with God, again, look at the love that Christ has for us, thank him, let it be a time of praise for what he did on the cross, and at the same time, ask him to open up a searchlight into your heart as I'm going to be asking him to open into my heart and to show me those areas that I have not been walking in lockstep with him. And let this be that time to where you're thankful for what he's done for you, but at the same time, saying, Lord, uh, I want to get back in, in step with you and make it a very meaningful time of you with the Lord. So I want to lead us in a word of prayer. And as I lead us in the word of prayer, then as they begin to pass the elements, you just hold on to the elements, and then I'll give you instructions for how we will partake. Let me lead us in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, we never have to question your love for us and to know that we can never be separated from your love. And we're thankful for the greatest expression of love with your son, Jesus Christ. And so we pray that uh, as we take this time of remembrance, that you would speak to each one of our hearts individually and help us to be the um, children of God that you desire us to be. For it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen.